hello, hello, and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into you on your speakers or headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I am Rahul from Connecticut, I have Alex from Maine, and a special guest from Vermont who will be filling in for Jackie. Welcome, Jonah. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. Awesome. It's great to have you on and get some perspective from the Liverpool side of things and on everything going on in the world of football. So thank you. Uh, Alex, how are you doing, my friend? Doing very well. I was doing a little better until Sunday, but uh, doing pretty well myself. We all were. And in, in, in the last 24 hours and, or 36 hours, our, our worlds have been turned upside down. And so there's no other place to start but then, but the European Super League. So uh, let's kick it off with just a brief timeline on how we got to where we are. Um, kind of heard about the Super League, but nothing in the, in the recent times up until Sunday, like you said, Alex. And since then, it's gone from there may be a Super League to there definitely is one. So uh, Alex, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I I remember for a while people had been sort of foreshadowing this idea, but it had always seemed quite abstract. Um, they've been talking about, oh, in the future this, in the future that. Uh, some of these big clubs, some of these big businessmen still want to break away and establish their own higher revenue tournaments. But um, it certainly didn't quite feel real, I would say, to a lot of us. Um, it felt like sort of yet another empty threat or... Um, far off ideal but you know Arsene Wenger apparently said it back in 2009 that within roughly 10 years there would be something like this um and I guess he was proved right because this this really blindsided a lot of us it certainly did and to see the names come up 12 teams already part of this uh AC Milan Arsenal Atletico Madrid R Chelsea Barcelona Inter Milan Juventus Manchester City, Manchester United, Real Madrid, Tottenham, and Jonah's Liverpool. So, Jonah, any thoughts on on the European Super League? I got to be honest with you. Um, Us Liverpool fans have been kind of at our final straw lately with Fenway Sports Groups, um, the owner of Liverpool, and this has broke that final straw. It's an absolute disgrace, I think, to not just Liverpool fans, but I think to the community as well. And I think that the entire soccer community has to come out and just revolt against this. I mean, the entire idea to me is just absolutely abhorrent. And I am at dismay. Um, When I woke up, I think it was Sunday, and I saw the news that this announcement would um, potentially be coming out, I I couldn't believe it. Um, As uh, coming from the Liverpool perspective, um, I think, I mean, it just has to be said that... um, We've been a little disappointed with the funding that we've been getting for our players lately. And so with Fenway Sports Group, it's been a little frustrating. However, um, just the idea of big money soccer teams coming together and stealing away the supporters' um, wish, like taking away what the supporters want from football, which is the Champions League, fun domestic type, um, fun domestic stuff. And not only that, but like, I think they're, they're, I mean, I think it was Jurgen Klopp who said it himself. He loves the idea that one year West Ham can just be in the top four and all of a sudden be in the Champions League. That's the beauty behind 
football. That's the beauty behind all of this. And with the Super League, that, that just is completely taken away. And the argument was said like, oh, um, you know, the Super League isn't totally fixed. I mean, essentially it is. There's 15 teams that are guaranteed to be there and only five spots for people, I mean, for clubs that um, get to come because of their merit in domestic leagues. It's just yeah, not fair to the entire football community. That's a very good point. And I think um, th- that might be a good time. I don't know, Rahul, if you want to get into some of the bare bones of this, uh, just breaking down the details for those who aren't uh, as familiar. Um, this is quite something to listen to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thank you, Jonah. And thanks for, for kind of the segue into, uh, you know, the the structure of the Super League. So it's basically 12 founding members, the teams that I mentioned. They are still looking for three more teams that would become founding members. And uh, from that point on, it would be open to five other teams to make up this 20-league team. Um, and <laughs> it's... It's weird because it basically means there's 15 clubs in this league that are guaranteed to stay in this league regardless of where they finish. Uh, and then the remaining five have to go through a qualifying round. And once they make it in, they've got to fight to stay in there because the other 15 guys are just always going to be there. So uh, it kind of seems like it's very an exclusive club uh, for the clubs. And everyone else is kind of outside looking in, trying to get in and, and stay in. So uh, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way they're telling us. They say it's going to be played in midweek, essentially replacing the Champions League. Um, starting in August with teams playing home and away fixtures in groups of 10. So two groups of 10 uh, with top three in each group automatically qualifying for the quarterfinals. Teams finishing fourth and fifth will then compete in the two-legged playoff for the remaining quarterfinal positions. Um, And then they also say that once they get the men's side of this up and going, there's going to be a women's league as well. So I guess from that side, it's good, but it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't feel right. I mean, there's so many leagues, guys, around Europe that may just not ever get to participate against Barcelona, Real Madrid, Chelsea, which is what the Champions League gives you right now. So, uh, Alex, I'll bring you back into this. Uh, your thoughts on this structure and, and the way it's going to work? Yeah, I mean, I guess, as Jonas sort of said, when you have people like Jurgen Klopp saying that this is taking away the magic of the sport we love, um, it's it's clear when you have this sort of widespread opposition. I mean, goodness, I have seen very, very few fans who are pleased with this decision. Um, Certainly, most of the players seem to be uh, not happy with the fact that this was all done behind their backs. Um, The managers, obviously, like Klopp, um, and many others have have come out to some degree and had to just reassure people that they had no part in this. They didn't even realize this was coming. And I think when you take this many people by surprise, and especially with something like this that's really just designed to increase revenue, um, you've got to expect the backlash. And so, as you said, with um, two uh, two groups of 10, you're playing home and away against each uh, team, I believe, in those groups. Um, you're increasing the number of matches, obviously, um, which increases the revenue. Um, but the fundamental issue is the one that, that most people, I think, have been raising, is that if you play these top teams every single week, 
there's no more magic to it. There's no more fun. There's no more excitement. There's no more anticipation. Um, as Chelsea fans, for example, we were recently looking forward to meeting uh, Real Madrid in European competition uh, in the Champions League semifinal. But, uh, well, recently we've been excited about that because that's something that we haven't seen. Um, we haven't seen a, a Champions League match between uh, Chelsea and Real Madrid. Um, so, you know, if, if you're playing them home and away in a group stage every year, and then maybe you play them in the knockout round every single year, no teams go in, none go out, at least of those 15, you're really devaluing everything the UCL stands for. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. And, and you touched on the revenue aspect, and that's something that uh, I wanted to touch on too, was based on what they're telling us and in, in the announcements from each club is that these 12 founding members just for signing up in this league are getting 3.5 billion euros, which is just wow. an insane amount of money. And first of all, I mean, where's it coming from? Do they already have sponsors lined up? Do they have television rights lined up? Um, and then for clubs like Liverpool that, you know, have traditionally been um, for the fans have traditionally wanted to win the champions league, done it six times to just sign up for something like this doesn't feel like anything in their values. What do you think, Jonah? There's your Mbappe money, Jonah. I, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we've been wanting to sign some players, especially Mbappe for quite a while as that rumors kind of been thrown up and tossed around a little bit, but I, I, it's, it's like, listen, the money's great. It's not worth it. It's not worth it at all. Um, to answer a quick question, what I do know is that the American bank, JP Morgan, is giving um, a loan of $6 billion, I think the value was, um, to the Super League, um, which has to be paid back in loans, which I'm unsure how that works. But I do know that JP Morgan sent in that loan. I'm lost for words. I mean, I, I just, I don't think it's worth it. Liverpool is such a historic club. Um, in terms of Champions League play. And I think you've seen it on the emotion of players' faces when they play in the Champions League. They want to be there for the Champions League. And it's disgusting that they're trying to take this away from them. Like, if you look at Jordan Henderson, there's a video of Jordan Henderson when he won the Champions League in 2019, him going to his father and just seeing the pure joy and crying with his father in the stands that that's what football is about and this super league is gonna take that away it's gonna strip it the foundation of football as we know and and love it and i can't imagine what's gonna happen to this i i don't know if they're gonna figure out negotiations i i'm lost for words i can't say yeah i i feel your pain and um you know it's been it's been an interesting 24 hours where we've seen clubs come together in terms of the 12 that, you know, want to do this. And basically it's a, a binding contract that they've signed uh, from what we're hearing. So basically once you're in, you are in and you can't go back, which in itself is crazy because it's all about making revenue at this point, Alex, right? I guess there have been some, some voices for the, the formation of the super league. Um, Specifically, I would say we should note that um, the forces against it, UEFA, FIFA, etc., they're not exactly renowned for their honesty. Um, I think those organizations absolutely have crazy histories of corruption, 
Um, they're certainly largely profit-driven themselves, um, despite claiming that they're they're doing their best for football. But I think this is almost a case um, of the lesser of two evils here, where we have a system that we know isn't perfect. Um, we know clubs could probably be making a little more money. They could be milking a bit more money from it. And um, we know there's already a bit of corruption and there's some money going places it shouldn't. Um, I mean, you, you see, for example, with the World Cup in Qatar, that's not exactly a, a, a gold star on FIFA's record. But, I mean, I think the Super League concept is is abusing the fact that UEFA and FIFA are imperfect and saying, okay, we're going to start something new. Um, when if you look at it, it's going to be run by some of the worst owners in the sport. I mean, you have the owners, uh, uh, American-backed owners, uh, notably in the Premier League uh, side of things, but you've got the owners of Manchester United, you've got the owners of Arsenal, you've got the owners of Liverpool, all of whom can hardly run their own clubs. They can't keep their own fans happy. How are they expected to be trusted with the future of the most prestigious tournament in European football? It's it's crazy to me that you have this cast of characters um, who have been hounded by their fans for years now for being money-hungry and soulless and not caring about the teams, and they're now going to make every decision for for what's best for the entire continent's uh, football? I think that's ridiculous. I agree with you, and I, I echo what you say about the owners. Uh, going back to F UEFA and FIFA, uh, they were they were never perfect, like you said, and I've never seen them react to something this quickly because uh, it's going to affect their pockets at the end of the day. And uh, you know, talk about racism in, in UEFA, and they take their sweet time to to respond to it. But as soon as this comes up yesterday, within hours, they we see rumors and news coming out that players will be banned from playing in UEFA tournaments and uh, Champions League medals and, and winning titles will be stripped away. And it's like, you get what, what, why they're doing this. They obviously want to fight back, but I don't know. It's, it's like a little too late in that these clubs have decided they want to take their own destiny in their own hands and go with it and maximize their revenue. And I think I saw somewhere that, since this report or since this news broke, Manchester United and Juventus shares have like gone up and they've both gained about $550 million on the, on the share market. So you said owners, but even the investors and, and the people that, you know, follow these teams from a money perspective are excited by this news. And that tells you everything that you need to know. For me, the biggest thing is what happens with the domestic leagues you know, Liverpool just won the title, Jonah, after 30 years. And now all of a sudden we're seeing that your club, Liverpool, my club, Chelsea, may not even be in the Premier League next year. So any thoughts on that, Jonah? I can't, I, I personally can't believe it. I, you know, at the beginning of this year, I was like, oh, Liverpool have such a great chance of winning the Premier League again. I was telling Alex about it way at the beginning of the year. He laughed at me and he was rightfully you know rightfully so he laughed at me the Klopp team is burned out but um you know and I have my own opinions on that and they're not great opinions I can't back the team too too much in terms of their performances anymore and I don't have any excuses to give you guys for that but the fact is is that I can't like I are as a Liverpool supporter my 
ideal like position in the league is first place. And I want to keep getting, I want Liverpool to keep getting first place, but in what league? I want that to be the Premier League. That is the most important thing to a Liverpool fan. We were, um, we went without the Premier League and t- uh, since it began for 30 years. And the fact is, is that we wanted it again. And those players wanted it again. I know they haven't had the best performances this year, but everybody wants the Premier League. And that's the special piece of um, silvery that we really, really wanted. And the fact is, if we can't get that again, I, I, I don't know. I, it's really, really disappointing to me. Um, but I, I also kind of wanted to touch on something, the World Cup. So they were talking about how um, players would be banned from participating in um, things such as the Euros and also the, the big one, the FIFA World Cup, which is, I think, in my opinion, the big tournament that pretty much every single player wants to participate in. And so UEFA and FIFA both came out with their statements saying that all players that take part in the Super um, in this uh, Super Cup League would not be able to participate in that. However, I want to mention Perez had an interview today with the press where he said, no, that's not true. We're going to make sure that every single one of these players gets to participate in every single one of these leagues. And if not, we're going to go ahead and create our own league because we don't care. We are going to get what we want and we're going to create our own World Cup. We're going to create our own Euros. Um, and I, I I saw that and was that I, 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 the like the determination behind the Super League people is staggering. That's a good point. I think just the fact that they're trying to or they're even willing to entertain the idea of creating a second world cup for super league clubs. I mean, that's what sort of struck me as, okay, they're really bluffing. Um, but I, I almost feel like it's, it's not so much a bluff as a legitimate desire that I simply don't think can be backed. And I think that's one sort of theme of this whole situation that they're underestimating the power of the fans because as much as money talks and as much as the stock prices are, are, are rising, uh, as Rahul said, and as, as much as these big broadcasters and these big businessmen and, and shareholders want to see their pockets grow, um, if you as Perez scrap the most prestigious international tournament, realistically the most prestigious tournament in, in the sport um, that's been running for I don't know how many years, a very, very long time. I mean, this is, this is what every player dreams of. They dream of going to the World Cup and representing their countries and bringing home glory for their nation. I think that is a bit of an empty threat personally, simply because I think that people would turn, as if they haven't already, people would turn so hard on the notion of a Super League if it threatened to completely dismantle that international aspect of the sport that we love. I mean, I, I think there's even right now you can almost play devil's advocate and say, well, I guess FIFA and UEFA aren't great. Maybe this Super League thing could replace the Champions League. There's no justification to, to say that it has to demolish that the, the sanctity of the World Cup. I think that's ridiculous. Rahul, thoughts on that one? I, I agree with you, Alex. I think that requires a way more uh, coordination with countries, with uh, governments. And I don't think the Super League in, in Paris and some of the other guys that are running this 
have the patience and have the you know the um the knowledge of getting it done through through, through the countries um touching on the fans that you were talking about i we ran a poll on the on the premier chels um instagram account and basically the question was if the super league goes through what are you likely to do and the options were support the same club find a new club not in the super league or quit football and interestingly interestingly enough most of the results were towards supporting the same club and just continuing doing the things the way they are there were still a handful of people that said they would find a new club not in the ESL in fact one guy mentioned he would support Leicester which would be interesting and then there's about 14 people that just want to quit the sport altogether so i think early days in this whole european league saga um and like you guys said if it ends up being taken over some of the international tournaments and i think it becomes a little more personal for the players um like i think someone on your account alex was saying why hasn't pulisic said something yet i think it's way too early like tuchel was saying i think people haven't digested the information fully uh players don't know for certain what's going to happen with their contracts what's going to happen if they want to leave a super league team and go to a bayern for example how that's going to work um so a lot has to still be worked out but man this is this is news that has taken the sport by storm and it's going to continue for the next few months yeah and that's you mentioned um you mentioned the players contracts and whatever their their personal uh obligations and agreements i i did see a recently a piece of news saying that supposedly there's a clause in in just general player contracts in the premier league stating that the clubs aren't allowed to do something that interferes with the player's ability to play on the national team. Um, So people were saying that might be one legal loophole uh, that, that prevents this kind of super league from forming because it is directly, at least uh, with the current FIFA and UEFA stances, it's directly inhibiting the player's ability to play for their national teams. Um, I think definitely, I mean, Joan and I briefly touched on this uh, together. We were, we were talking about this, but I think, I think it could end up being a bit of a power grab. Um, And realistically, I know everyone's completely up in arms and for good reason. I think we should maybe entertain the possibility that there's going to be some kind of middle ground reached here um, because you have, I mean, it's almost, you have FIFA and UEFA and the the traditional governing bodies um, and the idea of like continuing tradition, continuing the legacy that's been built, continuing the current system, um, completely polar opposite the Super League, which is saying that they'll even change the international structure if necessary. So really, I don't think it's realistic with such strong um, public support on one side and financial support on the other side that either side can really triumph um, because I, I do, I still think maybe I'm being too hopeful, but I still think we as fans have a bit of a voice. Um, obviously uh, people have been saying, well, Hey, you say you don't like the, the super league. If your team's playing against Barcelona in the super league next fall, are you watching it or not? Because a lot of fans probably would, but you know, I think they're maybe taking us for granted a little bit. And I think if they do too much, especially after this shocking announcement to, to anger the fan bases. You know, I, I think they might see that dwindling support. Maybe we will all go support Lester. Jonah, who would, who would you support if, if not Liverpool? <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I, I, I gave us some, some really good thought, and I have to go with weeds. 
Um, Leeds play really fun to watch football. Um, not only that, but they also play very much like that heavy metal type of football that um, was played by Klopp a few years ago when he was first starting out at Liverpool. I think it's a very attractive style of football, and I always have a really great time watching Leeds games, except for with the exception of today's game where they drew 1-1 with Liverpool. And um, I myself actually only watched the highlights as because um, I was boycotting it. Um, I, along with a lot of other Liverpool fans, um, decided that we're boycotting um, everything Liverpool right now. Um, we're not buying any of their merchandise. We're not, um, well, we can't go to games, but we're not watching games online. And we're going to do everything that we can to withdraw ourselves, but um, including taking uh, banners from uh, off the cop. And so I, if I had to choose, though, it, it has to be Leeds. Um, I just really find that they play a very attractive um, style of football. And so I think that that's who I would go with personally. That's a good choice. I mean, for Alex and I, dirty Leeds isn't that that good of an option to support. Um, but hey, I mean, if if it's Leicester, Everton, Leeds, as some of the top teams in the Premier League, it would still be exciting, I think, uh, to watch. And my biggest thing is if these guys, the six guys that want to leave the Premier League or want to leave in terms of, you know, focus more on the Super League, if they stay in the Premier League, I think that just destroys the league completely because, yes, they will be in there, but they won't fully be in there. They're not invested in it. They don't really care who where they finish. Top four isn't a thing. Um, as long as they don't get relegated, I guess, they they continue to play in the league and put out weaker teams like we see in the FA Cup and Carabao Cup because they're focused on playing Barcelona, focused on playing Real Madrid. But after a year or so, like Alex and I think you, Jonah, have been saying, we don't want to see that as fans. We want to see this as a one-off spectacle where we face these bigger teams. Um, and if so, you I don't. If you don't mind me saying as well, Jurgen Klopp said it himself. Who wants to see Liverpool, Real Madrid, twice a year? Who wants to see that? It has to be something special. You can only have that happen a certain amount of times a year. It's very important that it's a rare occurrence. Yeah, it is. And it's it's not even that, uh, John. I, I mean, you guys weren't in the Champions League and I'm not picking on Liverpool right now for a few years in between. And then you came back in and you've made it to a couple of finals. You've played Barcelona. You beat them at home for nothing. And those are the memories and those are the things that come along with facing these clubs once in a while. If you start doing it all the time, it's it's not going to be special. And yes, fans may tune in and watch it and you know be excited by it. But what's the point of seeing Messi play uh, Robertson or, or, or uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold three, four times a year? It just doesn't doesn't make sense. And I think that's what these owners are missing. And I, I, I agree with Alex. I think as fans, we do have the power. Uh, but I think these owners kind of expect this backlash and know that with time, the middle ground or whatever it is will benefit them more than it is right now. And money talks and that's what will end up happening. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I guess at this point, all we can do is hope. And I do have a fair amount of hope that the, the currently proposed super league is not going to go forward entirely as it's been outlined. And I think with that level of opposition that we've seen from FIFA, from UEFA, from the fan bases of almost every club, 
Um, as Jonah said, people removing banners from the top. I've seen Chelsea fans um, saying they're planning to remove their banners from the stadium. Um, and I have seen people saying, no, keep up the banners, support the club, but then put up new banners, slamming them for this decision. I think no matter how you do it, no fan or, well, that's, that's an overstatement. I think 80% at least of fans are seriously against this decision. Probably it would go roughly 90, 10, or even 95 to 5%, um, at least of what I've seen. You know, maybe that's an outspoken group who are heavily against it, but I just don't think you can go this blatantly against the will of the fans, um, the people who you're relying on to make this Super League profitable. Because Barcelona playing Juventus, for example, doesn't make money magically because the players are are piggy banks barcelona versus juventus makes money because the viewers tune in they've got two massive massive audiences and the people watch the game they bring in revenue through that viewership through the advertisement through everything um but these these teams don't magically generate money it is all because of global interest and i mean you know maybe that is a strategic thing on the part of on the part of perez uh, there's certainly a lot of outrage now, but as you see with a lot of outrageous decisions, that outrage t- does tend to fade a little bit. Um, I mean, certainly if, if it comes out now, that's my concern as well, um, that everybody blows up for one week, two weeks, three weeks, maybe even a month of people constantly, constantly criticizing this decision. But there is the risk that people are a little burned out and August comes around and they say, this is what you're going to get. They try to shovel something new down our throats. And at this point, you know, we just shut up and back the clubs that we backed for our whole lives. Because, Rahul, you mentioned it too, the people being asked whether they're going to quit football, support another club. I think it was what? Uh, was it Cantona who said it or, or whatever that you can change? You can change everything in your life. You can even change your wife, but you're not allowed to change the, the club you support. I mean, these are like many people, these are considered sacred decisions to support a club and now people are being asked to abandon it yeah you're you're spot on alex and i personally for me i don't see myself supporting another club i supported chelsea for over 20 years and uh, yes what they're doing right now i don't agree with but i just can't see myself supporting a different club and and waking up on the weekends at 7 a.m to watch a different team play I just, I right now can't bring myself to do it, but you never know in a few months if it continues like this and the club continues to go after the money, which let's be honest, all clubs have been doing for the longest period of time. Uh, right now, they're just being very open about it and showing this is what we want to do. And that could be impacted by the pandemic. Uh, Paris said Real Madrid alone lost 400 million euros, I believe. Which, yes, it's hurtful, but Real Madrid are still here. I think about a club like, uh, I think it was Bury FC, who went into administration. And all these clubs watched them go under and lose their over 100-year history, which bothers me. Because now, all of a sudden, there's 6 billion euros, dollars, pounds to go around. And all these clubs are going to take their share and, and move on. Uh, so that's the most most disappointing and concerning part of it. But... Like you guys have said, this is just the beginning of it. And as we go forward, there will be some middle ground found. And I think once UEFA and FIFA get their cuts, um, they will back off and we will get some kind of new league here. Uh, it just may be not exactly what 
these massive clubs are are intending to do. But Alex, once one last question. Um, we've seen Chelsea and Man City say they may do a U-turn. Any quick thoughts on that before I go to Jonah? Yeah, I saw that. It, it, it was saying that because Chelsea and Man City, of all the clubs, I guess, of all the large clubs, haven't been horribly impacted uh, in their finances of late. Obviously, they've got very wealthy backing. And um, financially, obviously, Chelsea drew player sales recently. Um, they've been doing pretty good business, even as we've been splashing big transfer fees. We've been bringing in money. Um, and I, I think I think both Chelsea and Manchester City didn't necessarily need the cash flow as much as, say, um, a Real Madrid, a Barcelona, both of whom uh, I know had been reported to be in serious uh, financial trouble, and uh, the likes of Arsenal, Tottenham, who haven't been making this top-tier competition consistently. I mean, that's a whole a whole other uh, can of worms, the idea of whether Arsenal, who can't spray past Fulham and need a 97th-minute uh, equalizer, deserve to be playing you know, Real Madrid and Juventus and the likes uh, every single week, you know, that's, that's its own thing, but it's, yeah, it's, it would be interesting to see if Chelsea and Man City try to reverse this. Maybe that's, again, I feel like that's maybe us, us grasping to the last shreds of hope there um, because it was widely reported and is pretty much confirmed at this point that Chelsea at least were I think approached last week about this. They hadn't been as present in the planning, but they were essentially told you're either joining this or you're going to be left behind. And Chelsea listened to their finances and said, we don't want to be left behind and agreed. But I think with all the backlash that's been received, I'm holding out the slightest bit of hope that Chelsea and Man City um, turn against this because I think it was also said they're, they're convinced that they might be able to sway Tottenham um, and if they could sway three clubs, you know, I'm, I'm not sure whether I want to count Tottenham as a as a large enough club to swing something like this. But if three of the big six in England refuse this plan, that brings things back to the negotiating table. Yeah, I hope so. But I, I wouldn't count on Spurs for, for anything. They would probably bottle it at the last minute. Um, but jokes jokes aside, uh, before we move on, Jonah, any any parting thoughts or any final thoughts on the European Super League? Obviously, I know you don't want it, um, and if it comes through, then we'll be seeing you in a Leeds shirt. Uh, but any final thoughts? Well, jokes aside, I don't know if I would fully become a Leeds fan, but I, I truly am a Liverpool fan. I've been a Liverpool fan since I grew up, and that's where my heart is. I'm very, I'm just very disgusted where the club is, but I would have fun supporting Leeds. Um, I my one thought is I just wonder so Perez said that all contracts that have been signed and all contracts are binding and that they are secure and no club can go back on it I just wonder how much truth there is that to that statement because I we know him to be an extremely extremely corrupt person there is absolutely so much like he lies a lot And so when he says something, it has to be taken with a grain of salt. And I just don't understand. I, I, I really wonder if he really said that truthfully. And to be completely honest, I think it's very possible he didn't say that truthfully. And part of me wants to start conspiracy theories and be like, oh, they only did this because they want to try and get more prize money from UEFA for the Champions League. But deep down inside, I know that's very unlikely. Um, 
in general, uh, from a football fan's perspective, not a Liverpool fan's perspective, um, as I understand I'm on a Chelsea podcast, um, I, I do have to say I'm extremely disappointed with what is going on right now. Football is not about big money. Football is about the supporters. It's about the emotions that you feel when you watch the game. It's about watching the game, waking up for us Americans here very early in the morning, getting a cup of joe, sitting on the couch, and watching your favorite team do their best on the pitch day in and day out. It's not about the money. It's about the supporters, and the clubs right now need to listen to the supporters. And if they're going to listen to the supporters, they need to leave the Super League then they need to disband it now. It is not worth it. Without the supporters, football is nothing. And that's yeah, what that's, I have to say. that's a good. That's a good point. And that also just one more thing. I was thinking. Um, I think for Rahul and myself, we will probably. I mean, I personally would see it as a disservice to the players, not only present but in the past, who fought so hard to make this club. Uh, something that I currently love and have loved for half my life at least. Um, but I think that is something that's worth considering um, for all these football fans saying they might, um, they, they, they might consider abandoning their clubs. I think some clubs maybe with who have been unsatisfied with their owners have found a way to reconcile that and say, it's not the club that's at fault because they view the club as the people behind it. They view the club as the fans, the people who gave it life, the people who attend the games and buy the shirts and back the players um, and idolize these heroes and make it, a, make it their entire lives. Um, so I think a lot of fan bases and a lot of people, myself included, do view the club more as uh, a living entity and the product of the fans who comprise it. And so in that respect, I do think there is space to say, I still love Chelsea, or I still love Liverpool, or I still love Real Madrid, for example, um, but I dislike how the club is being manipulated, how it's being used, how it's being influenced by big money, how it's being sneakily and underhandedly dealt with by these massive uh, businessmen um, and these sleazy characters behind the scenes. Um, so, I mean, personally, that's, I guess, where my stance is. I, uh, I think, and I think a good number of fans, you see it, for example, when um, Manchester United or Arsenal fans are extremely unhappy with their ownership, they criticize the owners. They don't criticize the club because, I mean, the club as itself has done nothing wrong. The club is a crest and the club is the people who built it. So, you know, I guess, I guess that's kind of where I'm at. And that's why I think nobody is obligated to throw away uh, a team that they've supported for years and years and, and spent their life admiring. Um, but maybe we are obligated to speak out against the abuse of these teams. If you, um, if you don't mind me saying real quick to build off that sort of Gary Neville said it, um, and this isn't about Chelsea specifically, but it's more about Manchester United and Liverpool. Um, he said that, he was extremely disappointed in those two clubs in particular. Liverpool is a club that was built off the fans. You know, the, in, the entire idea behind Liverpool, and it's on the crest itself, is you'll never walk alone. And what the club right now is doing is walking alone from and walking away from the supporters. Um, 
And then in addition to that, Manchester United was built from workers. It was built from supporters. It was built from the ground up and it was taken over and it was stolen by rich people. And they're now, now they have the power and they can do whatever they want to do with the club. And they just totally disregard what the um, roots are of the club. And to see this happening is a disgrace. And um, I would never wish it on um, any club. I would not even wish it on Manchester United um, as I hate them. And um, I, w- I wouldn't wish it on Chelsea. I know all clubs have their differences, um, but I don't think I've ever seen so much unity um, from supporters of all clubs and getting behind something so much. Um, and I just really hope that this continues and that everybody stands together and does their best, does their part as small or as big as it is to try and pressure the clubs into disbanding the Super League. Raw emotions, guys, and I, and I that's that's the point of this episode and, and this podcast is to get those emotions out there. Uh, share them with our listeners who obviously share the same feelings. Uh, the one thing, Jonah, you brought up, and I'm not going to get into the fan space because you and Alex touched on it perfectly well. Um, just listening to Paris, listening to the rumors, listening to all the news coming out. Uh, guys, please try to stay a little bit level-headed. Don't don't believe everything you hear because there's a lot of rumors coming out, a lot of things being said about clubs, about the Super League, about fans. Um, and just know who you support and what that club stands for. And at the end of the day, justice should be served by us fans who continue to fight for what we believe is right. Um, and that's where we'll leave this topic for now. I'm sure we will cover it for weeks ahead and months ahead. Um, but in any other week, this news that we're about to cover would have been what we spent majority of this episode talking about. Uh, but in this week, and the timing for some reason, just Spurs thought this was the best time to sack Jose Mourinho, who was just hired about 18 months ago. Uh, but he leaves his job at Spurs, fired by Daniel Levy, uh, mainly because of results and uh, a lack of support from the dressing room is what we're being told. But I personally, as a fan of Chelsea and seeing Jose Mourinho at our club, feel bad for him now. It's getting to a point where it's, you know, it's not something I enjoy. It's like seeing him sacked from Manchester United, all right, that was, you know, that was something that you could make memes out of and make fun out of. But from Spurs of all teams, um, that's just that's just ridiculous. And... I don't get the timing of it. Alex, I'm hoping you can help me understand why a club like Spurs would decide to let Mourinho go a week before a cup final. Yeah, I mean, what? He's never lost a, a cup final. Uh, I think, what, he's is it 4-4 four four that he's won or something like that? He, he lost um, one to Chelsea, but we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, but he's got a great record in terms of that, and I think there's no reason to shake up the players. I mean, you have to look and say, yeah, okay, you can blame Mourinho all you want. Are these players really good enough to go out there um, and win this match um, without Mourinho at the helm? Is it, oh, his magical departure is going to motivate this extremely talented group of players? I mean, frankly, I think the players are one of the large reasons he did get sacked. And to some degree, we touch on this a lot, say, with Guardiola, with 
can a manager, even a brilliant manager, one who we know has great tactics, who we know has a has a successful philosophy, um, who we know has great experience, should a great manager do this at a smaller club? And I don't want to pick on Spurs here, um, but I, I'd say in this sense, we almost have an answer um, because you wonder, people, people criticize Guardiola, and he's actually pretty gracious about it. He says, yeah, you're right. The big money um, and the big names and these big teams are the reason I'm successful. He's come right out and said, absolutely, the fact that I have these top players is what allows me to play my football and be successful. But people say, oh, imagine you gave uh, Guardiola a mid-table team. What could he do? Would he be as good? Would he take them to, to the next level? And here you have Mourinho, who had a fantastic record. Um, then he was fired from Chelsea. You saw him fired from Man United, which – you know, Manchester United, as you said, Rahul, it's not quite the same as Tottenham. But when you when you bring him into Tottenham and then you give him the Lampard treatment, you give him that you know, whatever year and a half ish, I guess. No, not not a year and a half. You're you're giving him actually, uh, you're giving him a, a bit of time, but certainly not letting him see out his contract. Um, you just have to say, you know, Mourinho's a fantastic coach. I think no one can deny it. His success speaks for itself. But maybe this is just the example people have been looking for of a top coach without top players. He's simply not going to perform uh, at the same level. I, I, I hear you, Alex, but I feel like he had, in my opinion, a better team than he did at Manchester United. Uh, Harry Kane, which would easily walk into that United team he had. Son would walk into that team. Um, the defenders he had maybe you know, not up to the mark. And I think that's ultimately what cost him the job. Um, but John, I'll bring you into this. I mean, uh, seeing Jose Mourinho, you know, in the Premier League for the last few years and getting fired again from Spurs, I mean, as a Liverpool fan, uh, probably not affect you that much. But in the race for top four, could this be a turning moment for Spurs? So... That's that's a good question, and I don't fully know. Sometimes teams react very well um, after sacking a manager. We don't really know because Tottenham, it's been a minute. Uh, well, they did sack their manager 18 months ago, but before that, it, it was a minute until. Um, I don't in particular re- remember the results when Jose took, first took over, but I, regardless of those results, I don't think that's too important. I, I wonder who's going to take over first off, but then in regards to the top four race, um, this could either, I think this could be a massive help to um, Liverpool or other teams currently struggling to get into the top four. Um, and even if you want to include and throw Chelsea into the mix there, um, as we're all about at the same ish level of points, um, Liverpool, of course, dropping two points today, but um, I, it, it could be good. However, there are rare occasions where teams take off once they get under um, a new manager or even an assistant coach takes over. Um, reasons being, sometimes players feel um, uh, limited whenever they're under a manager. And I could see that very much being the case under Jose. Um, I know a lot of players at uh, Manchester United, well, it happened at Manchester United. I, I think that's a great example. Once Mourinho left Manchester United, they took off. Of course, they also had Bruno Fernandes, who I hate to say it, is um, one of the best uh, players in the Premier League right now and maybe even the best midfielder in the Premier League at the moment. 
Um, but they absolutely took over once. Um, well, they didn't, to be fair, they didn't, they only got Bruno um, last year, but they, they, they took off um, once Jose um, left. And I think that this might happen at Tottenham as well. However, it's very possible too, that they fall. Maybe Jose was um, actually doing them good, but if you look at their squad quality, it, it's very, they have a good squad uh, more so in the attacking front, but I mean, the attacking threat of Harry Kane and Hangman Song, it, it's threatening. And honestly, if I, was a, uh, if I was a defender, I'd be very, very scared to face those players. And I know whenever they play Liverpool, I was always scared because they can penetrate a back line just as well as any other um, front players in the league currently. And um, they they're very good at getting record behind. Numbers? Yes, they, they have. Record numbers? Yeah, the, yeah, the two of them, I guess, have the best partnership in the league in the history of the league. Um, and it, to add on to that, too, Harry Kane um, this year might become the first player ever to get the most goals and the most assists in the same league season, which I find staggering. It, th- their accomplishments this season are great, but I think you have to look more so on the defending, um, the defending this season to maybe critique i mean at the beginning of the season their defense was unpenetrable but um right now i i don't know where their problem was you guys have any thoughts on maybe what their problem was um in terms of their play style because obviously their attacking is very threatening yeah for i mean for me it's been it's the defensive aspect like like we've been saying i think he had the goals and he always had the ability to nick goals through a harry kane or a son or even a bale lucas mora I think there's enough in that squad. Uh, and, and Daniel Levy, to his credit, gave Jose Mourinho enough in the summer uh, to at least have a top four contesting side. Uh, but for some reason or the other, after November, where they were kind of sitting top, December came, they started falling, and they've just fallen and fallen and fallen. And um, even though they only sit, I believe, a few points out of the top four, uh, five points, um, that's not good enough for Spurs and going into the Super League, like we've been talking about, they may see this as an opportunity to start fresh and start with the key players at the club, like a Harry Kane. So I think that may be ultimately what the decision was. And and Jonah, you asked who comes in now. So Ryan Mason, the former Spurs player who actually retired from a cracked skull, uh, comes in as caretaker manager who's and he's only 29 years old so there's a bunch of players in that squad that are older than him so that's the other baffling decision by Daniel Levy is okay you sack Mourinho but then you bring in a 29 year old who has very limited experience and you want him to lead you into a cup final against Manchester City that's just baffling for me and uh Again, that's why I go back to the timing of it. it. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's a little to me like sacking, I mean, less less of an error on Spurs' part for sure, but it's sort of like sacking Pochettino after um, after he really probably overperformed with that Spurs team, got them to the Champions League final where they lost against Liverpool. Um I mean, it was ridiculous to me that they parted ways with him after he brought them to some semblance of respect as a club. I mean, they've been a complete banter club for years. Still haven't won a trophy since I don't know, two thousand what, five, four, eight, eight something. Eight, yeah. Two thousand eight. But it's I mean, it's just a little weird. It's like you're you're sacking coaches right when they've 
and I guess in this situation, it's not when they've begun to bring success, but you're in the you're in the cup final because of him. I don't think Mourinho on the sideline is going to lose you the match. I think Ryan Mason on the sideline could lose you the match. I mean, I think if the Spurs players go out and lose, you say it's pro- it was probably going to be the players' fault with Mourinho out there because I don't think they're trying any less hard in a Carabao Cup final. And of course, the players are ambitious too, as much as uh, their trophy record does not suggest it. They'd be itching to get their hands on a trophy. I'm sure Harry Kane wants to win more than the Audi Cup in his Tottenham career. But, you know, what can they do? It's At, at a certain point, I think they were always going to go out and fight extremely hard for this final. Um, so it would have been a lot smarter to have the guy with a serious trophy-winning pedigree on the touchline. Yeah, I agree with you. And, that, and that's the, the craziest part of it. Maybe they thought, um, you know, firing him after he won a trophy would be harder. Uh, so they did it before, but it remains to be seen how the squad reacts. Like uh, Jonah was saying, I, I doubt it's going to be an Ole kind of situation like at Manchester United, but you never know. And if Ryan Mason can take them further up and maybe win them a trophy in the first week of his managerial career, uh, that bodes well for him. But on the Mourinho side, real quick, I think, do you guys see him coming back to a Premier League job? Jonah, I'll start with you. If you put me in Jose's position and asked me, well, if you asked me if should Jose retire, I would say no. However, um, definitely, I don't know if he should go back to the Premier League. Um, I think that I don't necessarily know if it's a wise thing to say that the sport has evolved past his style of football. However, I definitely think that it could be um, that might be potentially a factor into this because f- football is ever evolving and managers have gone, come and gone um, and have said before that football has evolved past their understanding of and way of managing it and playing it. Um, if I was Jose Mourinho, I'd try to get the Porto job back. Um, but the, if I, I don't know how realistic that is. And also just like the other thing that you have to consider is this entire Super League thing. So like, you know, um, that's also into consideration. Maybe Jose sees this and he's like, I I don't even want to take part in anything related to this. And if I was him, I probably would take that standpoint. Um, but I don't think he should come back to the um, Premier League. Now, is it absolutely possible that he does come back? and? just um bosses it and um proves me wrong i i think that's totally possible because he is um very much so a really great manager and he will go down in history as one of the best managers ever up there um with some of the best like cruyff and um and also um i think you have to put pep in there but i think that he has a great legacy was it ruined a little bit by his time at Tottenham and getting sacked after 18 months? Yes. Was it ruined by um, getting trashed on by players such as Paul Pogba? Yes. Was it ruined by um, getting sacked at Manchester United as well? Yes. Um, did he have his three-year cycles where he could only stay at a club for three years until he got sacked? Yes. <laughs> but You're sounding I, like he's not going to have such a good legacy. <laughs> I, I don't, so I'm, I'm biased. I'm biased, surely. But I do think 
in the period before his, you know, not doing so well after the three years are up, because he has a three-year time every time he goes to a club, or I guess they sort of halved that um, at his stay at Tottenham Hotspur. It's 18 months it's like, now. <laughs> yeah, 18 months. It's like he's going around to like, it's like he's whole towel swapping or something like that. He goes to each club and he wants to stay there temporary. I, I would almost compare him to... Um, to some like relegation like premier league relegation managers like big <laughs> big sam you know staying at a club for a short big, big amount of time move. and big moving move. on move. yes but i i would love to see him try a if i had to be honest though i would be sincerely interested in seeing him try to manage a club like west ham now is I would love to see that happen. I think West Ham are rising through the ranks. I don't know if they can stay there too long. I mean, they have a great team, but it's West Ham. What are you, what are you, uh, you trying know, to say? It's... Moyes isn't doing a good job for you? I, I think <laughs> Moyes is doing a great job. I'm, I, all I'm no, saying no, is Jonah, I don't know how Jonah, long it's going to happen. I don't, I don't know how Jonah. long that's going to last. I'm, I'm, with how we've seen Mourinho do at Manchester United and how we've seen him do at Tottenham, I would not be wishing as a West Ham fan for him to come to my club I mean I agree he's a quality manager he's had his moments in the past I think most man I think most fans of top 10 say PL clubs of either upper mid table or uh higher table Premier League clubs simply should not be asking Mourinho to come to their team and for that reason I think he shouldn't come back I don't let me ask you this. Really let, let me ask you this. You're a Norwich supporter right now. You wake up tomorrow as a Norwich Absolutely supporter. Not. Absolutely <laughs> not. I, I, they tell I you no that too. they just hired Mourinho. No. You can't you can't tell me that you want to be slightly excited as a Norwich My- City supporter that you're getting Jose Mourinho as your next manager. Norwich is actually coming back to the Premier League. Mourinho might well put them back down with his current <laughs> form. What, yes. Rahul, what do you think? If you're a Norwich fan, there's no way you're taking Mourinho. No, I, I'm not. And I'm, I'm honestly, I think the best job for Mourinho now is to go for an international job, maybe Portugal, um, where it's out of the focus, everyday kind of stuff. He just has to do prepare for the tournaments, watch the games like he does anyway. And I think that's the best option for him. His kids are old enough, too. I think he wanted to be in England for them to go to college and stuff. But now that's kind of out of the way, too. So if I'm Mourinho, I say, you know what? I've earned enough through my career from the jobs, from the hirings, from the firings. Uh, I now go to Portugal and and try to make that work. And if that doesn't work, then then we think about retirement. But I think for now, um, an international job is the right next move for him. What about you, Alex? Yeah, it's got to be an international job or a job outside the Premier League. His legacy is, I mean, I wouldn't call it ruined, maybe like Jonah was saying, but I'd say seriously tainted um, by these past appointments. And I think if he wants to go down in the history books as a great manager, he needs to have a couple more successful appoint, uh, more successful appointments. Um, and, you know, there's no, I, I, I will say I would very much enjoy him as a pundit like a lot of uh, like a lot of um, a lot of managers do when they when they have a little bit of time off. I forget, did he ever? Um, he was he on Sky Sports. On? He was on yeah. Sky Sports for a little while. But just picture this: oh, Gary Neville, 
character is Jose Mourinho at a table as pundits post-match. Sunday night football on Sky Sports. I would pay a ton of money to see that. And I think it would be genuinely extremely interesting. I would pay a lot of money to see Roy Keane and Jose Mourinho as a commentary duo. Don't let but, uh, Perez hear you guys because he, he hears money and he's going to come after us. So, um, Oh, my God, yeah. Um, Perez uh, is, is scrounging for spare change. <laughs> uh, but I think that kind of covers our coverage on, on and our feedback on the Jose Mourinho piece. Uh, wishing him the best, whatever he decides to do. Um, and we'll see what it, it, he comes back as. Maybe at Norwich, maybe at um, Liverpool. Jonah might lose it, but um, we'll see what happens. So, Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, so for now, I think we've covered all the main topics and we haven't even touched on the Chelsea game. So before we do that, just wanted to thank Jonah for joining us today. Uh, Jackie had a, a, a family thing to deal with, so he's he's missing today, but Jonah filled in the boots. Um, and thank you very much, Jonah, and hopefully we'll see you back in a couple of weeks with maybe some more updates on the Super League. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Big boots to fill today, but um, it's been a really fun time talking with all of y'all and being very passionate about how terrible of an idea the Super League is. And also, um, you know, talking about what I say. But um, yeah, thank you so much for uh, having me. Take care, my friend. So Alex, we move on. Uh, FA Cup review real quick. I think we're about the o- over the over uh, hour mark here. So uh, real quick, we beat Manchester City in the semifinals, and I think you, me, and Jackie had predicted a win for Chelsea, so we were right on there. Um, we'll run through the, the team real quick. Kepa played, and uh, I was loving his slick back hairstyle. Uh, I thought he was straight out of the cartel or something. Um, Espelicueta, Thiago Silva, and Rudiger. Reese James, Angolo Conte, and Jorginho, and Ben Chilwell in midfield, and then Hakim Ziyech, Mason Mount, and Timo Werner up top. So your thoughts on that real quick, Alex? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a strong lineup, as always. Um, you know, Chelsea have the depth that no matter what team they put out, we should be able to get the job done, um, really against any caliber of opposition. It just depends on whether we execute the game plan, and I think we did quite perfectly. Um from from everything I was able to see, which due to lunch and a laggy stream was probably the first half and then the second half of the second half, um, I loved what we were seeing. Um, I loved how the game was progressing. I loved how our midfield were, was pulling the strings. Um, and I think certainly the from the first half, I, I said to someone, I believe, or maybe I put it on my story during my little my little match updates, that we looked like the Guardiola side with some of the passing we were doing in midfield. Jorginho, um, honestly, was incredibly impressive once again. And it was it's, it's truly weird, and I will say, maybe this represents my coming of age as a cultured football fan, that I had never individually watched Jorginho's performance or really noted it because I'd been too busy looking for, say, um, the Pulisic, the flashier players waiting for them to do something exciting. But in recent games, um, whatever we we've been, we've been talking about how Jorginho has really stepped up and played well. And yet again, I mean, he was doing these little flicking lofted passes across the field. There was one, one time he, he released, I don't know if it was Mason Mount, I think 
or, or uh, another of our attackers, um, just with a deft little flick. And he was just he was just pulling the strings yet again. I've since I have started watching him specifically, maybe thanks to Pulisic not playing, um, I was able to focus on him. I've been so impressed, and this was yet another great performance. Yeah, some great points there, Alex. You bring up and uh, the one about us playing as a Guardiola team. I think it was spot on because we didn't. In the past, we've played City, and our tactic has been we're just going to defend and, and hit them on the counter. Not saying that we didn't do that here, but for majority of that first half, we were bold and we were brave enough to play them the way they don't like to be played, which is combinations in the midfield and one twos and runners going past their midfielders and. Uh, finding spaces in behind a defense, which Timo Werner was in there for. Uh, so you're absolutely right. I think Tuchel got his tactics spot on. And coming to the Jorginho point, Jackie and I aren't the biggest fans of him. Um, too often he seems to be a little lost on the defensive side of things, but the last few games he's been on point. He's covered every blade of grass that he needs to in midfield. Um, and that's allowed Angolo Conte or Kovacic, who was playing next to him, to go forward and help the attack. And credit where it's due, Jorginho has been very, very good. And um, I know some of our listeners may come back and, and remind me of this when I'm upset with him in a few weeks. Uh, but I will take that abuse when it comes because he was excellent in this game. Um, yeah, and, and one more one more thing to maybe touch on on this briefly would be uh, Mason Mount, who it appeared was playing the wrong sport at times as he got rugby tackled by Fernandinho on multiple occasions. Um, he was absolutely fantastic. He was running rings around uh, Fernandinho, sent him straight to the retirement home. Um, I thought it was ridiculous that Fernandinho did not get booked earlier on. Um, and it wasn't even, it wasn't the incident that everyone was talking about uh, with, with the, the, maybe the, the, the convenient the screenshot of, yeah, the foot covering yeah. over Mount's face. I think if you watch that back, it wasn't. It didn't look to be ultra intentional, um, but it was a challenge right after that where Mount was bringing the ball through midfield. I believe he received the pass, um, and Fernandinho completely missed the ball, clattered Mount's ankle and shin, studs right into his leg. Luckily, Mount takes the impact. And we know he doesn't dive. He was down on all fours. He scrambled back to his feet on his, off of his hands and knees and kept playing. And because he doesn't roll around and dive when he gets hit with every single tackle like some players do, he just simply wasn't drawing cards from the ref. I guarantee you, if Bruno Fernandez was on the receiving end of the treatment that Fernandinho was giving Mason Mount, Fernandinho would have been off the pitch within 10 minutes because these were yellow card tackles, but Mason Mount wasn't making a meal of them. And, you know, I have to applaud that as much as I would have loved to see Fernandinho sent off. We complain about the diving in this sport and Mason Mount is a player who I am, I'm, I'm proud to have at the club and, you know, in that he doesn't really tend to make a meal of things. When you said some players, I was like, just say Bruno Fernandez. And then you did. So that, that made my, my night, and, and this episode is completely made for me based off of that. Uh, but you're spot on. And Mike Dean, honestly, I don't know what it's about these refs and Chelsea playing at Wembley, but for some reason, they just decide not to see certain things. And uh, you're right, the stamp, all right, we can see maybe he didn't mean it for Nandino, but that second tackle was 
right in front of Mike Dean and there's pictures out there that show Mike Dean looking right at it, at it and he does absolutely nothing. So uh, the less I say about that, the better. Uh, and Mason Mount, uh, as always, is classy, is always giving his 100% on the field. And we saw that he sets up the, the assist or he sets up Timo Werner who gives the assist for Ziyech's goal. And that one goal was enough to see us through. But at no point in that first 70 or 80 minutes that I think oh, we're under threat from City, we handled them extremely well. And in the last 10 minutes, we managed that game very well. Thiago Silva, I have to give him a shout out, played on with an, a back injury. And then when he finally went off, he laid there in the 85th minute and had the trainers come on and slowly walked off. And that, at that point we were under pressure and he took that pressure off of us. So uh, that man, man, at 36, if I could do what he does, I'll be very happy. Yeah, he's amazing. It's been, it's been one heck of a season from him. Um, and I guess going off of that, maybe off of these, these performances from us, Obviously, we we don't want to drag on for too much longer, but I would I would say if we're naming a man of the match there, it has to be Mason Mount for me. I'm running rings around their midfield, setting up uh, the goal. Uh, I I'm I'm not going to count call it a pre-assist, but I will say you know I, I'm not counting that as a stat, but I will say you have to see when players contribute in that way because. Um, Mount has certainly been fantastic for us all season, and that's why I as I, I think we may have touched on in a, in a couple, or maybe it was in another uh, area, but that's, he's got to be my player of the season for this level of consistency. I agree with you. I, I was also going to say Mason Mount as my man of the match, but since you've taken him, uh, I will go with Jorginho, which is again, weird for me to say, but he was very good. Um, and Winning the semifinal moves us into the final on May 15th against Leicester City, who were actually supposed to play that weekend in the Premier League. So uh, just funny how the odds work out, but it should be a good final. We lost it last year to Arsenal, uh, another refereeing decision, but we won't get into that right now. So hopefully we can redeem ourselves this time around and get Tuchel, who becomes the first German manager to make it to the FA Cup final. Uh, if Jonah was still on, I would talk to him about this and, and remind him that Klopp's been in the league and in the country for five years and has never made the FA Cup final. So things are looking good under Tuchel. And uh, that brings us to tomorrow's game, which is against Brighton City, uh, Brighton Hove and Albion, I beg your pardon. Uh, kind of takes a whole different meaning, doesn't it, Alex, after this whole Super League talk? Does it even matter? It's amazing how how quickly stuff like this can completely eliminate or, or really just shake up what everyone's expecting. I mean, this is you know ordinarily you'd say this is a, a a crucial game as we as we try to finish in the top four. Now, does the top four even matter? Who knows? Are we going to be kicked out of this competition? Are we going to be kicked out of both the Premier League and the the Champions League? Who knows? It's it's kind of ridiculous at this point, and it's. It's so difficult. I mean, until you literally mentioned it, I'm sitting here looking at the match notes, but until you mentioned it, I forgot we were playing tomorrow because it's, it doesn't even feel real to me at this point. I don't, maybe I should boycott it uh, as Jonas said he did with Liverpool's game. Then again, I normally illegally stream anyway, so they're not getting a cent of my money. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, it's, you know, 
I, I don't even I don't even feel like I can I can talk on, about this game in a, in a normal capacity. Normally, we're predicting our eleven and saying how critical it'll be for our end of the season, and now it's like, I mean, what even has this come to? I just hope the players uh, turn up. I, I think they will, and I think it's a good opportunity for players to show that all this noise around the club and around the league um, isn't affecting them and their professionals and going to do their job because. You like we said earlier, at some point this is going to get figured out, and it it will mean that there is a middle ground found, and that I think that would be Chelsea staying in the Premier League. Um, so, if that is the case, then you know the Premier League is the the main thing for a club like Chelsea, at least for now. Um, so we won't jump into the starting eleven, but just a question for you, Alex: Does Pulisic start this game? I think he's got to start. He was fantastic for. Uh... Um, the past two games before our uh, our FA Cup victory, um, obviously he got rested. But then even coming on the pitch, he had that offside goal that he finished brilliantly, took the ball, brought it around two City players under pressure, um, and then smacked it in the net. He's clearly showing that he's in, in full form. This is postseason Pulisic at his very best. Um, and I think he absolutely needs to start tomorrow. He, he got his rest against City. Um, and just like uh, just like under Lampard, as we were finishing out the top four race last year, I think a fully fit Pulisic is a absolutely locked in place in the starting eleven. So this this should be no different for me. He's had his time to rest, and I I hope he rips rips them apart tomorrow. That's that that would be especially for my page and my followers and myself who have been really. Uh, not happy these past uh, few hours, couple days. I think that would be a wonderful way to remember some of the joy in this sport if Pulisic uh, bags a goal or two tomorrow. Yeah, that certainly will be enjoyable for us to watch uh, and for him to continue his good form. Uh, I wanted to run through the table and let our listeners know that if we do win this game, we jump from fifth onto third uh, because Leicester City aren't playing till Thursday, but Again, I don't even know if this is going to matter where we finish. Uh, but in the case that it does, if we do win this game, we would be in third. And if Leicester drop points uh, to West Bromwich Albion, who have been flying themselves, uh, that means we would finish this match week in third position, which would be great to see. Uh, and then we would go into the West Ham United game this weekend, um, you know, sitting above them. So we'll, we'll preview that later this week. Uh, but any last-minute predictions? And before I get the predictions from you, Alex, do you think Brighton pull out those Earn It t-shirts like Leeds did today? <laughs> I I don't know. I'd love to. I'd love to see something go down. Though I know I've seen across several accounts, Chelsea accounts, people are planning a full-scale protest outside Stamford Bridge ahead of the game. Uh, I've seen multiple accounts. I shared one of my story of people who are planning to go. Um, they've got banners, they've got flags, they've got tons of homemade posters, they've got flares. I mean, from what I can tell, people are going to be going and really voicing their uh, dissatisfaction with this Super League situation. So, you know, it'll be fascinating to see. I, you know, I, I wouldn't mind. I will say maybe unlike, I know some Liverpool fans maybe thought it was poetic justice that Leeds equalized. Uh, I, I personally still want Chelsea to fully win this game I I'd love to see especially because I feel bad for these players like 
I mean, this is this goes back a little to the Super League concept, but when you think of Mason Mount, um, he's worked through the ranks of his boyhood club since he was so, so young. I don't know what it was, under eight for sure. Um, and he's he's worked so hard, proved himself, proved his skill. He's tried to break into the first team, which is something that's so difficult for Chelsea's prospects to do. He's shown on loan at Derby County under Lampard. He got his chance with a transfer ban. Um, everyone said he played because he was Lampard's son. And then he cemented himself. They said he was Southgate's son, and he cemented himself. He showed why he was so valuable. He got to captain his boyhood club um, in Lampard's final game in charge. He showed everyone his leadership capabilities. He's arguably been our player of the season. He brought us largely, um, along with the rest of the team, to a Champions League semifinal against Real Madrid. And he's dragged us right to the very end, to the point where we're right in this top four race, you know, and it could all be just tossed out the window. So that's that's what I really feel for. I feel for the players like Mason Mount, um, the players like Christian Pulisic, who have put everything into these um, comebacks, coming back into form and from injury for Pulisic, um, proving himself uh, – on the biggest stages for Mason Mount. And then, you know, as, as you've said a couple of times, who knows if it all even matters now. Um, we just got to hope. We got to hope and got to stay positive. So on that point, any match scores right before you, uh, before we sign off? Um, uh, match prediction for this one? Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know if I, tr- I guess, I guess we kept the clean sheet against Man City, so I trust us to pull another clean sheet unless Brighton cash in on all those expected goals that they seem to get. Um, I'm I'm going with a three nil win here. Um, I think the boys will come out and play and and try to put the noise behind them. I I, I hope so too. I think a two nil for me, and uh, in either case, a win. And for what it's worth, hopefully a, a third placed um, finish into this match week. And right before we sign off, I do want to touch on the women's team who won 5-0 against London City Linuses. Uh, first starts for Academy Products, Georgia Fox and Aggie Beaver-Jones. So congratulations to them. Uh, good to see some uh, some of the Academy players come through for the women's side as well. And then goals from uh, Charles, Jess Carter, Melanie Leopolds. And Alex, if you haven't seen this goal, um, I'll send it to you on Instagram. This is one of the goals of the season, at least in the women's league, um, a I'll rocket, yeah, a rocket that she kind of launched from midfield and it flew right into the net. Uh, and then two from Drew Spence, who capped off our first ever meeting with London City with uh, with a win in the fourth round of the Women's FA Cup. So we move on to the fifth round as well. Uh, and then the next game uh, is this midweek on Wednesday is against Manchester City women, who sit in second place. Uh, two points behind Chelsea, who said in first place. So it's a top-of-the-table clash. And wishing uh, the women's team all the best for this game and hoping they can open up a slight gap at the top and, and see out the title. Yeah, I hopefully, hopefully, as with the men's team tomorrow, these players who really don't deserve any of this media storm that's going on around them uh, can sort of put a smile on our faces as they, they do every week. So. That wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chills, available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Twitter, and Instagram. And in fact, we've 
just crossed a thousand followers on Instagram. So I wanted to thank you all. And as always, please send us your feedback and we will be back later this week to do a Brighton review and a West Ham preview. Until then, stay safe and up the chills.